0: Something a little controversial, something that started out so phenomenally well, but ended in tragedy. Today, the story of a once-celebrated soccer player, a man whose career got off to a brilliant start, only to have it end after a myriad of events from a knee injury, to a major disagreement with his manager, to his coming out as gay, to accusations of sexual harassment, to finally suicide. Today, the story of Justin Fashion.
1: This is Sports Forgotten Heroes, a tribute to the stars who shaped the games we love to watch and the games we love to play. Stars who provided us with many thrills, but when their time was up, they faded away. We'll take a look back at their spectacular careers, their moments of fame, even if it was just for one season or just one game. And now, here's your host, Warren Rogan.
0: Thank you once again for joining me on Sports Forgotten Heroes. So glad you can be here. You know, one sport we haven't hit yet is soccer. And I have received several requests to do a podcast on soccer. So today, the story of Justin Fashionu. For the purposes of today's podcast, we're going to refer to the game as soccer so as not to confuse anyone with our sport of football. One other note. Sports Forgotten Heroes concentrates on those who have had great careers, one great season, or one great game that had a major impact. And Justin Fashionu definitely falls into the latter category of having a great, great game. And he definitely had a great season or two. Joining me on today's podcast will be Kartik Karshnair from World Soccer Talk. Kartik worked as the Director of Communications and Public Relations for the North American Soccer League, the NASL, was the host of the American Soccer Show on Champion Soccer Radio Network, the Major League Soccer Talk podcast, and the EPL Talk podcast. Currently, Kartik writes for World Soccer Talk and is the host of the World Soccer Talk podcast. Now, before we get to Kartik, though, I want to let you know that I have several links on SportsFH.com to articles and videos of Justin. That's SportsFH.com. While visiting SportsFH.com, you can also check out past episodes, read about the many guests who have appeared on Sports Forgotten Heroes, send in your comments, learn how to ask questions of future guests, or just contribute to the podcast. And thanks to all of you who continue to support Sports Forgotten Heroes, including our newest Hall of Fame member, Paul F. from Cleveland, Ohio. Follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Facebook or on Twitter at Sports F. Heroes. Just in fashion new. He burst on the scene in 1979 playing for Norwich City and the highlight of his career with the Canaries came in a game where he scored the goal of the year as awarded by the BBC versus the best team in England at the time, Liverpool. I have a link to that goal on sportsfh.com. Norwich City, huge underdogs at the time, were trailing 3-2 and that goal by Fashion who tied the game at three. Ultimately, Fashionew and the Canaries lost the game 5-3. But that goal launched Fashionew into another stratosphere, and he parlayed it into becoming the first black player in English soccer history to be sold for one million pounds. Here's Kartik Karshneier.
1: It probably earned him that one million dollar transfer fee. It was an amazing goal, and the symbolism was great. You're playing Liverpool who are the perennial European champions at that time. They are the big dog in England. Uh, people didn't score goals and have that grace and elegance against Liverpool in, in such a venue, too. Uh, that goal uh, led Norwich to a 3-2 victory, and uh, it was it was incredibly elegant. He took, took the ball one touch, created space for himself, then um, basically one time did on the volley, upper 90 if you were to use a basketball term nothing but net i mean it was just spectacular our listeners just check out the goal on youtube that goal and you'll find it
0: it's not like norwich city was this big spectacular team it's not a team that's going to go out and beat liverpool not that they did but that goal was just this incredible spectacle
1: yeah and it was um it was an interesting era at that time of because there was the integration of, of players with Caribbean backgrounds and African backgrounds into the English game. And I know we're going to get into that in a, in a little bit And Norwich was one of the few teams that, that had those types of players and it brought a whole different level of magic and technique to the English game. Ironically enough, uh, my local club, the four strikers played Norwich city uh, in a friendly, that same season in Norwich oh, wow. and flew over from, from Florida. And, uh Justin played in that match, and that was um, part of the uh, the thrill of playing Norwich City. I was young then; I, I was a kid. I was uh, six years old, and I, I didn't quite understand uh, the 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 magic and value of playing against this player. But obviously, subsequently, learned so much. And uh, that that goal and Justin put Norwich City to a certain extent on the map internationally for a short period of time. Uh, and that is, of course, before he moved to Nottingham Forest.
0: Right. Hey, Kartik, welcome to Sports Forgotten Heroes. Tell us about World Soccer Talk, some of the clubs and players you write about, and of course, your podcast.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. WorldSoccerTalk.com is our website. We spend a lot of time talking about media in uh in in the sport uh analyzing what fox soccer walks fox sports fs1 fs2 espn uh, nbc sports and the other networks that cover soccer in the united states are doing in addition to covering the global game of the world game uh with an independent streak uh a, a, a heavy dose of analysis a lot of opinion uh, we've been doing this for well over a decade and uh, our podcast which we have once a week with christopher harris and myself is uh one of the longest-running soccer podcasts on iTunes, and it's actually, I believe, the longest-running independent podcast if you take out uh, those podcasts associated with media publications like ESPN and The Guardian, the longest-running soccer podcast now um, in our 12th year uh, on iTunes.
0: Back to Justin. He played in 90 games for Norwich and scored 35 goals. It should have been the best time of young Justin's life. But unbeknownst to him it wound up being the beginning of a series of events that led him to not realizing his potential, at least not at the highest level. Playing for Nottingham Forest should have been a terrific time in his life, but his relationship with the team's manager, Brian Clough, was not a good one. In fact, it was rocky from the start. Tell me about that relationship and how and why it soured so quickly.
1: Yeah, I'll start at the end and say that Clough in his autobiography referred to Justin as a one million pound uh, mistake and uh, claimed that he had signed him just because of the goal that we wow. talked about Wow. against Liverpool. But Clough uh, was a, a odd character, you know, a very old school character. I think many of your listeners have probably seen the movie The Damned United, uh, which played in the United States uh, in two- late 2009, early 2010, Michael Sheen. Was mm-hmm. playing Brian Clough, uh, and it came out just after Michael Sheen had this run of movies that were uh, where he, he was a hot star for a little bit. The Queen, where he played Tony Blair. Then there was another movie with Tony Blair. Then Frost Nixon, where he played David Frost. The final movie in that kind of run, that Brian Sheen run of uh, Michael Sheen run, excuse me, of um, two years was the um, was The Damned United, and I was surprised because um, it was a pretty um, Strong box office success in the United States for a soccer movie. And it gave a lot of context into even though there are like most movies that are based on real life, um, on nonfiction characters, a bit of embellishment. But Clough was old school, he was hard-headed, he had a hard time managing players that were creative and successful, as you saw, um in, in that 40-day uh, stint, 44-day stint he had at Leeds United, which is what the movie's built around. All his success at Derby, and then after he left Leeds, all his success at Forest, which were smaller clubs, provincial clubs, where he made the players what they were. When he got to um, Leeds for that 44 days, he inherited behind Liverpool, the second biggest club in English football at the time, uh, with all of these great players, Bremner and Lorimer and... Um, and Johnny Giles, and, and uh, Gordon McQueen, he could not manage those guys. He, his personality was to do things very rigidly. So let's fast forward to Forrest in 1981. He's won two European Cups with what is largely a provincial club, but he's still very old school, uh, very, very uh, tough-minded by the book. Um, and Justin was a creative, artistic, expressive player playing hmm. as a center forward. Hmm. And, and, and I think that that rubbed on Clough. And then, um, unfortunately, Clough found out that Justin had been going to the one gay nightclub in Nottingham. And from that point forward, it was it was done because he had very um, traditional views about those things, Clough, even though. Um, Politically speaking, he was on the left of the political spectrum. This is a great irony because he was a Labor Party member, thought about running for parliament as a member of the Labor Party. But in in sports in that period of time in the U.K. and also actually in the United States at that time, it was very tough to be um, to even have the insinuation that you were homosexual. Sports were completely different than society. And we hadn't evolved even in society at that point in the U.S., uh, to an acceptance of it, it took much longer in, in sports. I mean, if Michael Sam had ha- had happened in the 1980s, the reaction would have been very different. Um, I sure. can guarantee you that. So sure. uh, that's what he was facing, unfortunately.
0: So Clough had a hunch uh, that Justin was not straight, that he was gay yes. because of this uh, bar that he had frequented. Now, mind you, this is also at a time when Black soccer players were the subject of these vicious verbal attacks. And being gay, as much as it is or isn't accepted today, as you had mentioned, a gazillion times worse back then. Clough had a rough time with fashionals, off the field habits, and and he challenged him. He didn't like it. And he wouldn't, le- he wouldn't even let Justin practice with the team. Why? And if he wouldn't let him practice with the team, why did he let him play? What was the benefit?
1: Yeah, he, he wanted to keep him away because of this insinuation that he was gay from his uh, his straight men, right, in in the dressing room and on train in training. But he had spent so much money he couldn't justify not playing him. A million pounds, we know transfer fees now. Uh, or through the roof, so a million pounds is just a throwaway now. Um, sure. Ten million pounds is a throwaway for a lot of players, but it was a lot of money back then. And your point about the racism towards African Amer- uh, players of African descent, not African-Americans, we're talking about Britain, of course, right. um, uh, 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 black players, players uh, whose families came from the Caribbean or from Africa, was intense at the time. There was a, a specific game in 1979 between West Bromwich Albion and, uh, Manchester United that I remember so well because West Bromwich Albion uh, was the was really the pioneering squad of, of, of black players I and mean, guys like Cyril Regis and Laurie Cunningham and these uh, the first real kind of generation of black players uh, in England and they play Manchester United at Old Trafford in every touch of a black player you're hearing um, boos and some monkey chants from the crowd mm. uh, and, and then of course. Uh, West Bromwich Albion wins that game. Within t- t- uh, two decades, Britain's completely different to the point where uh, Br- the British press are complaining about the fact that they have so many African players, players of African descent, um, in uh, their national team. And when their national team would go to Eastern Europe or go to Spain, you'd hear these monkey chants once Sean Wright Phillips or Ashley Cole or whoever would get a touch on the ball. But it was—you um, just think about this. You couple the racism. With the homophobia and um you can understand why he had such a rough go of it
0: and that million pound transfer fee at the time everything all at once how did the other players accept justin or did they not accept justin
1: at forest it seemed like they really didn't um and that was um that was the unfortunate thing I mean they had had I, I they had, had one prominent black player Viv Anderson who actually was really the first black player to break into the England squad in a big way. so um, it's not that they hadn't had been exposed to a black player before or to that sort of um, that's that sort of cultural shock but then to have a Viv Anderson very much was more, conventionally British footballer and his mannerisms and, and the way um, he acted. He, he was one of these guys who felt like he had to fit in. He had to um, be a pioneer and lead that way. I, you know, not, not that dissimilar from Jackie Robinson, if, if you want to draw a comparison hmm. there and how Jackie Robinson, um, it, it took the abuse and took the, um, um, and kind of conformed as much as he could into conservative white baseball society. Uh, he knew Branch Rickey had, had, had been, Taking a major gamble and right. half of baseball was against him, right? So um, I think Viv Anderson was very much that way. But Justin being gay, coming a couple, being homosexual, coming a couple of years later, had a um, I want to say kind of a different way of expressing himself. And I, I I have to stress this, and I think this is important to know too. His football. The way he played soccer was more expressive. The touches he made on the ball, the way he ran the channels, the kind of style of football he played was much more um, expressive and creative, like what we're used to seeing in Africa and in Latin America than what was at the time a very traditional and... uh, I would say conservative style of playing in Britain, where you just kind of lump the ball forward to the big center forward. He holds, he take, knocks the ball down, lays it off, and a guy shoots on goal. I mean, it was a lot more better touches, more technique, more creativity in his game for a center forward.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about his game for just a second. When he gets up to uh, uh, Clough's club, was he overmatched? Was he too young? Why did he struggle? Was it what was going on off the field? Why did he not? Excel once he got up
1: there. Well, I think it was an overwhelming move. I think you're right. He was he was young. He was 20. Um, it was uh, a very very young age to make a move of that stature and to try and fit in to a team of that of that, uh, of that uh, style. And it was a team that, um, you know, essentially from a um, from a playing standpoint, should have fit him because Clough did play. His teams did play with the ball on the ground a little more than. Uh, a lot of British teams of, of the era, uh, good passing football, et cetera. But he um, he just was a cultural mismatch. He was too young. He probably at that point um, wasn't mature enough in his um, in in the way he was able to train and handle himself off the pitch, which um, also contributed to his problems with Clough. So
0: his time with Nottingham Forest. It, he wasn't there for a long time. After just two years, he was sold at a uh, significant loss to Knotts County. Um, he was playing great with Knotts County and then suffered that knee injury. How good was he at that point? And was he on a path that might have vaulted him back into the limelight or was that window closed? And of course, after that knee injury, his career really took a turn for the worse.
1: Yeah. So when he made that move to Knott's County, he was moving across town to the, to the, uh, uh, to the crosstown rival, um, and was in a position where, um, he was finally beginning to excel. Um, and, you know a, a team that was built around him right a team that was playing to his strengths playing to him as the center forward doing the sorts of things that were um unbelievably uh geared to his game you know playing the ball up to him letting playing the ball into space letting him run onto it those sorts of things and he was a he had, by this time is 21 going on 22 and he really begins to excel it's it's a uh it's a club where the expectations weren't as high as Nottingham Forest. They hadn't paid the million dollars for him. There were fans he had acquired in town in Nottingham that continued to uh, be able to, to, to watch him. So it was a really good move for him. Um, but then, obviously, he had that, that injury on New Year's Eve, uh, 1983. And uh, his playing career never recovered from that. And um, you, you, you complicate, you add that to all the, the personal problems, then you have more and more problems.
0: Tell us for 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 the listeners. Tell us about how the transfer fee works, and and how particularly for Justin it worked. How he was th- this million pound transfer fee to Nottingham, and then they start loaning him out. How does all that work?
1: Yeah, so I mean, it's it's different than uh, traditional American sports. What you have is a club owns the registration to a player. So Norwich City owned the registration to Justin. They sold him for a million pounds to Nottingham Forest. So Nottingham Forest paid a million pounds to Norwich City. In the contract, in the, in the deal, there'll be some sort of agreement where how, uh, 5%, 10% is kicked back to the agent and the player. Uh, but that money didn't go to Justin. It, most of it went, uh, 90% of it probably went to Norwich City. Then you have a system of loans. If a player is not playing at a club, you can loan a player out to another club. And this is um, a system that's now getting abused in in, uh, England in particular, where uh, teams will sign more than the roster limit or the squad limit number of players, and then make it a a profitable enterprise to then just loan out guys like they're an agency, right? Like they're a a player agency. So you loan out guys to to clubs that might uh, be willing to take a guy for short term, might be able, particularly with young players to allow that young player enough games to develop the kind of uh, the number of games and playing time he wouldn't get at his parent club. It's similar. I mean, the, the, the American sports analogy would be if you're playing major league baseball, you send the player down to the minors. Um, the, 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 But you're uh, also distance... trying,
0: you're also trying to get a return on your investment. Are you not? Correct. You're trying to, Correct. to uh, earn some of that in Justin's case, that million dollar or million pound transfer fee back. You're, and if if you're not earning, uh, you you might if a team can't really afford that, you might pull them back from that team and then loan them to another team. Isn't that sort of yeah. how it
1: worked too? Yeah, that's absolutely how it works, and we see that happen. Um, you can watch the Premier League on any given. Saturday or Sunday on on NBC uh, on NBC over there NBC Sports Network and you'll NBCSN I guess it's called now uh, the former versus and you would you'll see these conversations about such and such player has been loaned here he's not getting enough games the parent club won't be happy maybe they can, they'll terminate the loan and loan them in the next uh, window and there are windows it's just like trade um, trade deadlines in in American sports the you cannot transfer a player or loan a player right now if you're an English club. That deadline was August 31st. There will be a secondary window that opens January 1st and uh, closes January 31st. So you might see players who've been loaned out in that August window uh, have their loans terminated 1st of January, return to their parent club for a week, and then they're loaned out to another club. It's uh, interesting. It's yeah, and it's um, <laughs> I have to say it's become a um, a boon for agents. I mean, agents love this thing. I mean, the more complicated this is, uh, the uh, the the better it is for them. And, and it's uh, similar to free agency in American sports. I mean, he, uh, becoming a sports agent became very lucrative for guys like Drew Rosenhaus once uh, the NFL had free agency, right? Before yeah. that, it wasn't quite as lucrative.
0: Sure. Hey, let's go back a little. Um, it was, his youth was not easy. His parents divorced and he and his brother were placed in foster care, but they were placed with what, from what everybody says, a, a, a great husband and wife. Um, tell me about his formative years and, and his upbringing.
1: Yeah, um, his parents, one parent was Gu- a Guyanese, and the other parent was African. They divorced uh, when he was about six, and he was placed in foster care and, and was with a very loving family, he and his brother. Um, now, his brother... I think comes into the story because he too was a footballer of some note. Right. And he, he became, um, a heralded footballer and fell out with his brother over his brother's homosexuality. So, um, I, I, mean, I think the thing that was so important was that he was, he and, uh, John, his brother were in foster care and they were fostered by the Jackson family, um, who lived in, in the Norfolk area. And, um, they allowed both brothers to kind of develop their athleticism, supported them financially. Uh, Justin actually excelled at, at bo- boxing. He was a guy right. that could have been a boxer. Um, and could have pursued a professional boxing career, but instead uh, pursued football, which was, um, you know, a, a lot riskier for a uh, youth of a- African extraction in Britain, but they were beginning to integrate their immigrant communities into their football and culture prior to the 1970s. And I mentioned um, the West Bromwich Albion team. Uh, of the late 70s under Ron Atkinson. It, prior to that era, uh, the immigrant community in Britain was not integrated in their soccer fo- slash football culture at all. I mean, they could they could pursue sports like boxing, sports that were seen as safe to um, to allow African uh, uh, people of African extraction to play in. But uh, Britain was still very kind of white, working class, um, and uh, proud when it came to football. And uh, Justin was one of those pioneers and his brother, John, that that began to blow the lid off of that.
0: And and Justin was a little rough on his or strict on his brother, John. He, yes. he He was really strict on him, in fact. And, you know, if you want to be a footballer or as we call it, a soccer player, you got to do it this way and that way and this way. You got to behave like this. What was that relationship like? Do you know anything about it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually, I mean, it's been—it's one of these things because uh, interesting uh, things that have evolved since Justin passed away, and John has felt very repentant because they sure. they had such a rivalry. They became uh, a- an enemy, um, but it was—it um, was one of these things where Justin was the older brother, um, and they were in a completely kind of white, once they moved to Norfolk, as I mentioned, or the foster parents, kind of white environment. Uh, John has even said he didn't see another black person other than his brother until he was 17 or 18, right? I mean, that was, yeah, that was the kind of segregated area they were in. Um, But that basically um, Justin was really, really tough on him saying, you have to be disciplined, you have to have this kind of regimen, you have to be Um, always training if you're going to become a footballer, you know, otherwise go do something else with your life. So he got a lot of, um, I I think a lot of the, 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 the the training of the mind and and how you have to proceed as a footballer from his older brother. The irony being, of course, that John went on to um, have by all accounts, a more successful career, a more stable career, all of those things than Justin uh, because of this injury to Justin and the homosexuality, um, uh, John became very much a kind of mainstream, uh, hard man player, particularly with the Wimbledon teams of the late eighties, which were the crazy gang, which were known for physical play and, and, uh, strong effort. And, and he became, um, as a center forward with that team, a guy that was a physical, uh, could knock down the ball, could, could fly into a tackle, do those sorts of things, which British, um, British football pundits at the time really appreciated, and this is, I think, an important thing for listeners to understand: is that during that period, Britain's uh, view of football was that it was a man sport. It is uh, you slide into a tackle, you play on on uh, in, in rain, you play on these dirty pitches, uh, you. you, you, you um, if you break somebody's leg, that means you are a real man. You know, in <laughs> a tackle, they they didn't legislate the game the way they do now. Where if you go, if you fly into a tackle with two feet, you're getting sent off, you're getting a red card. In those days in Britain, it wasn't like that, and they had a very different view of it than, let's say, the way the Spanish or the Dutch viewed this sport, which was about expression, which was about your ball, your skills on the ball, your ability to, to pass and move and do those sorts of things. It was a very different mentality. And John. Uh, certainly fit into that culture better than his brother did. Um, His brother was elegant and silky and, and uh, would have been quite frankly, much better off if he had been playing football in Spain. uh, Although that would have been difficult for him (laughs) being being black. Right. Right. But, um, but in in the Netherlands, maybe he would have been much better off or in France at that time where they were, they had integrated black footballers and were much more tolerant of, um, uh, of expressiveness on the pitch and, the kind of um, cultural side that came to the game from from black players who, who who were culturally different in the way they played than than a lot of white players. I do think, though, of course, his homosexuality in that era probably would have been a problem anywhere, including the United States, and it was a problem in the United States, as we'll talk about. Right. So there's you could also
0: say that John's success, or at least a part of it was because of the way that Justin, you know, was strict with him and saying, if you if you want to be a pro football player, you got to play it like this. You got to be like this. Whereas Justin, as you use the term silky, off the pitch, off the field, Justin yeah, oh, yeah. was quite flamboyant.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and I, I guess that's the irony because he taught his brother to be a straight man, which he proved to be and had this long and successful career and even got called into the England squad once or twice. Uh, With Justin, the flamboyance came uh, both on and off off the field. And unfortunately, I mean, I think this was part of the problem. As the rumors began to circulate that he was homosexual, that flamboyance reinforced that. Um, and and fit all the stereotypes in anglicized cultures, American culture uh, of the 1980s and early 1990s of how homosexual men acted.
0: Hey, I'm interested to know something. Let's go back for a second. You talked about Justin's uh, uh, fascination, we'll call it, with boxing. He was pretty darn good. Twice he was a British amateur junior heavyweight finalist. Why did he walk away from the boxing ring and go towards soccer?
1: I think it was probably, and this, this I'm speculating on, this is the first thing (laughs) that I can't give you a factual description. I'm thinking it was just the ability, um, to make money in, in in soccer, football, and the, uh, maybe the social acceptance. It, It was, um, and it was something he was also very good with and was able to use his physicality. Right. Um, his physicality that he developed as a boxer, and I think uh, one of the things we found uh, in um, in, in, la- in latter days, as training techniques became more uh, commonplace, is that movement and, and the way you use your feet. I mean, I've read people like Dirk Davitsky and Roger Federer talk about this, where um, uh, and Andy Murray, Andy Murray will play soccer because he feels like it helps his, his his feet, his movement on the tennis court, right. Um, and Davidsky's talked about things like that. I think boxing probably helped Justin with his movement, right? and interesting. And, yeah, he movement on a on a soccer pitch you 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 realize in order to avoid certain certain um, confrontations with with defensive players, you have to you have to um, navigate in certain ways. and um yeah it's it's really interesting. and I know um now a lot of soccer players are are uh, are, are playing. Tennis and volleyball because they feel like it, it, it helps with certain movements and, and fo- fitness and and uh, and, and planning of your feet and things like that. There's a lot of overlap and there's a, the obvious um, uh, overlap between uh, some of the American sports and, and soccer as well. I mean, uh, Chad Ochoa has talked a lot about it that you know, some of his, his movement, some of his footwork when he, when he's running, you know, if you're running a fly pattern, that's one thing, right. You're just going straight, you know, the quarterback is throwing the ball right. um, over one of your, one of your shoulders. But if you're, if you're making, if you're running a button hook pattern or some sort of other complicated pattern as a wide receiver, uh, Ocho Cinco talked about how playing soccer as a youngster, and we know he's continued to play soccer, um, actually, <laughs> um, thought about changing careers, right? At one point in the Bengals right. blocked them or, or playing or being du- dual sport, like Deion Sanders was um, that, that movement in his, in the way he runs past patterns uh, comes from pl- being conscious of where his feet are from playing soccer. So there's a lot of overlap. And I think Justin probably benefited from boxing. I mean, we hear about the similarities between team sports, soccer, basketball, football, uh, but I'm guessing that there is value in being a boxer and showing a um, a, a um, an ability to kind of use your body and your feet, ironically enough, as we record this, Rio Ferdinand, who was a uh, great player for England, great player for Manchester United and Leeds United uh, and West Ham United, now is considering and he's retired from football a year or two ago. His now is considering a um, a change to uh, to become a boxer. <laughs> for, So that's, uh, I I think that's quite kind of significant. There is some overlap.
0: And I guess for Justin, too, as you were describing earlier, how tough the game was, it made him that much tougher on on the field as well. It uh, enabled him to play a, a, a tougher game and withstand bigger hits from his position on the
1: field. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because as I said, I mean, the game is physical now, and I think, Part of the reason they've legislated the physicality of the game, people – you hear all these British pundits at times say, oh, the game is now – uh, the players are soft. It isn't like it used to be uh, 30 years ago, and, and you hear that in every sport, right? You hear about in basketball now, all they call fouls for what used to just be incidental. And my gosh, you're always changing uh, uh, the, the rules in football. You can't you can't lay a hand on a quarterback. All of that is true, but part of it is because of the, the um, evolution of equipment. Now in soccer, if you go with two feet and you try and take someone's leg out, you've got these spiked uh, these sp- spiked cleats. Um, and generally, because of uh, the improvements in this in, in technology and the speed of the game, the player you're tackling is probably moving a lot faster. So um, there, there's a greater possibility of, of injuries, even career-ending injuries. In that day and age, none of this stuff was legislated. So <laughs> uh, if you were a center forward, um, you could, if like Justin was, you could expect elbows. You could expect, you know, a- every kind of physical contact. And sometimes the referee would call it, more often than not, they wouldn't. So that boxing um, frame and that boxing experience, I think, really helped him get through that because he was a, a silky player, um, more so than so many of the other center forwards in England during that, that period of time.
0: So that goal against Liverpool really had an effect in so many different ways. Um, how much potential did Justin have and by getting called up we'll say or transferred to the big club how much of an effect let's take his sexual preference out of this how much of an effect did this being transferred to Nottingham Forest how much of an effect did that have on him as far as being unable to realize his potential was there that much potential
1: yeah um that's a great question you know I think a cu- couple things one uh, he was too young and too immature to be at a club of that size and and hadn't uh developed as a player uh, at, um, he had only been playing professionally for two years at that point when he made when he made the switch to force um and he wasn't ready for a manager like Brian Clough the second thing I would mention, and this is the kind of the dark side of, of, of the story, is he came into money quickly, right? Because he gets a million dollar transfer fee They pay him. Um, I'm not quite sure what his wage was, but it was pretty astronomical for the period of time. And he started spending money, you know, obviously going out to the to the to the gay club in town, but also spending money on 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 fast cars and um, and, and um, just the kind of frivolous um type of things that we see so often we see it all the time now unfortunately from english footballers still in this era i, I mean i could list a, a number of guys the last 10 years who've gotten their first big contract and then have gone bad they've gone and bought a rolls or some sort of sports right, car right. Run, run it off the uh, off the curve we see it in the the nfl when guys uh, leave college early and they're drafted. Um, obviously you have to play three years of college football. Well, not anymore, right? Yeah, you just have to yeah, play. Yeah. Right. Um play. Uh, and you see guys like uh, Johnny football for you know one example, he comes into money and he can't control himself. So unfortunately, there is that side of the Justin story. There are stories of him uh borrowing money from people, never paying them back, um you know crying hardship, uh and and, and needing help from 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 fellow footballers, uh, people in the game, and then him being out uh, on a bender the next night, right? Um, so that's, um, I, I shouldn't say a bender because that that implies alcohol. Right, I, right. Can, I shouldn't say that. Um, that's the wrong term. Um, but being out at the gay club, being out till late, um, getting in his car and revving and going 100 miles per hour down the motorway uh, bet- uh, you know, between Nottingham and Leicester or wherever on the M1. So um, it was, was youth. some of that. Yeah, Yeah. it was
0: youth. You know, sometimes in baseball, there are those who are just too good for AAA and they just don't pan out in the majors. And we take a look back at Justin's career. He kept trying to work his way back up. But as we discussed earlier, that knee injury certainly had a devastating effect on him. Was he just that kind of player? And putting it in American terms, he was a really good AAA player. But after all that had happened, he he just couldn't make it to the big show.
1: Yeah, we see this in in uh, soccer in England a lot now. Even guys who are very good at smaller clubs bag a bunch of goals, but if they get a move to a Liverpool or a Manchester City or a Tottenham or Arsenal, they're not they're not that good. Um, and there are guys we call championship players rather than premier league players, because they're really good at the second level, but they're not premier league uh, title winning type players that you can have on those sorts of teams. He might have been that the thing that I guess makes it difficult to accept that that was the case was because his brother was so good, uh, ended up being such a good player. And um, that's, uh, that's something that, it's difficult to reconcile with the right. fact that he was supposedly that much better than his brother. And he of course got them, um, was able to play for England's team at the U 21 level. And he bagged a bunch of goals, but then he was never called into the senior England team. Cause by that time um, things had gone pretty bad. So that was, um, that was the unfortunate thing. He might've been one of these guys who just never reached their potential. Um, or he could be, in in uh um and uh, i'm i'm uh, i'm in florida so sorry for the analogy for those of you who aren't i went to the university of florida i grew up a <laughs> university of miami fan so he might be a tim tebow he might be a ken dorsey just like this really good player <laughs> at the equivalent of the right. college level that wasn't uh cut out for the nfl what
0: could he have done differently is there anything he could have done differently to help him realize that potential or was that did he just take a wrong turn and there was no recovering from it?
1: Yeah, I think the wrong turn was also based on um, was based on a, a certain degree of paranoia because he knew he was gay, he was keeping the secret for a while, um, and he was conscious of the fact that he was black and also the, the confrontation with Clough. I think had he not made the move to Forrest... Had he stayed at Norwich for another year or two, ended up going to another club, um, he might have been... Uh, he, it might have ended up very differently for him. I mean, the thing that ended up happening later in his career is there would be big English clubs like West Ham and Manchester City and a few others that would take a chance on him just based on who he had been, uh, the potential, the story. And he'd, get, he'd make three or four appearances at those clubs and get released. And um, Newcastle was another one. I remember, but, I remember but didn't, very he, but didn't
0: going, he? But didn't he score goals for these teams, or is isn't that what he was supposed to be doing? Scoring goals. So that's yeah. that's that's where I'm conflicted. That he would score goals, but he just couldn't advance.
1: Yeah. I, again, I think this is the, the the cultural side of it, where there are. Other players in in dressing rooms are uncomfortable having him in the dressing room. There is the lifestyle uh, choices that made him uh, a loner uh, from his teammates. There was the the ostracization he had felt. Um, And I think as far as scoring goals, he was still able to score goals, but he was never as quick or as um, explosive after that that knee injury. And it's like so many people who blow out their knees in, 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 in various sports. They don't come back. Uh, as quite the same player. I mean, this is part of the reason why. I mean, if you talk about American football, why uh, running backs don't last very long, right? Their professional careers are much shorter than than quarterbacks or yeah, wide the receivers. Hits, are, the hits yeah, take. yeah. And I think for him, um, being the, the styled center forward he was in that era, and then blowing out his knee, um, that that just kind of did it.
0: And this is also probably part of the reason why he played in so many countries on so many teams. He played in the U.K., the U.S., Canada, Sweden, and he couldn't stick or or stay with any of them. And it probably had to do a little bit with everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that that's uh That's absolutely true. And the contrast is, again, with his brother. I mean, his brother is such an important part of the story. His brother is at Norwich with him, starting out with him uh, at Norwich because, of course, they grew up in in the Norfolk area under foster parents and never really breaks into the Norwich team. Justin breaks in, becomes a star, moves on. And eventually, uh, John ends up uh, in London at Millwall and does decently well and um, transfers to Wimbledon and becomes a legend at the club, you know, <laughs> last there for, for eight years, scores over a hundred goals for them. And, um, and in, at the time when um, there was a, a certain um, craziness, they were called the crazy gang at Wimbledon at the time. Um, he, uh, under, uh, un, under several different managers, including jo- Joe Kinnear, um, that, he, he had this um, th- th- this great career, and there was unfortunately part of Justin's vices at that to- vice at that time was the contrast that was constantly drawn between his younger brother and him. So John was this really good, effective footballer who fit in to their cu- to the culture, was settled, basically played only for a couple of clubs in his career, a handful of clubs had what you would consider a normal career of a successful English footballer. Justin was the exact opposite. And I think it allowed people also to cloak their racism in a way by saying, hey, you know, uh, we like his brother. His brother is is great. You know, what we say about him is not racist. Right, (laughs) Um, right. So it it just turned out to be this this horrible thing. And and, uh, eventually, of course, um, maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but Justin – He's, he's running out of money. He's, he's going from club to club, uh, including some of the ones I mentioned, Man City, uh, Newcastle, West Ham, and of course um, the time he had spent uh, in, in the U.S. and Canada with the L.A. Uh, club at the time in, in, in the Outdoor League and the Edmonton uh, team. Uh, he, he, he's running out of money, and he decides to sell his story and come out. Uh, of the closet and sell his story to The Sun, which just made matters a lot worse. Yeah,
0: how how, how, how did The Sun figure into all of this? Did they, did they push Justin into admitting something he should have never admitted to? How does The Sun play into all of this?
1: Yeah, The Sun had a very seedy reputation at the time. Um, this is just for the context of our listeners who might have seen recently the ESPN 30 for 30 on, uh, on Hillsborough. Uh, and the Hillsborough Stadium disaster. That, right. um Yeah, this is a year after that, and the Sun had uh, r- had written slanderous articles and posted slanderous pictures. Not posted. There's no internet in those days. Uh, published <laughs> p- published slanderous pictures uh, of uh, of the disaster and the victims. And uh, to this day, you cannot. Most merchants in Liverpool won't carry the Sun. Um, so it was seen as a, uh, a scandal sheet, a, um, a tabloid, uh, something that a lot of um, football fans decried. But then a lot of the kind of um, meat and potatoes is an American term, but that kind of um, working class uh, British uh, consumer read the sun. And Justin's um, theory was, or at least how he represented it before he died was that he felt like they were going to hound him and they were going to out him. And he was going to be outed in the tabloids anyway, uh, probably in The Sun or in uh, the News of the World or or one of the other big tabloids. So why not cash in? Why not sell my story? Mm. Now, the the thing he did that I think further turned the public against him was he not only came out of the closet, but he began naming people he had had Uh, he had allegedly had sexual liaisons with whether
0: in parliament and all sorts of
1: places. Yeah. 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 And I I think at that point, um, a lot of people felt like he was selling his story because he had, he had uh, bankrupted himself. He had not fulfilled his potential. He had spent money on fast cars and, uh, and whatever else. And that he, um, uh, he was just trying to, to capitalize on this and get one last big payday and again this is going on at the very same time um that his brother is playing probably the best football of his career uh, at Wimbledon and um it just I I, and I don't know how much that played into it but in fact Justin uh and John didn't really speak after the, the revelations in the sun and John had urged him not to, to come out and, and, and say this, um, this is a, this is, um, you know, we talked about Hillsborough and Liverpool. One of the, uh, the, um, uh, most famous games, uh, in that era was when, uh, Wimbledon, uh, beat Liverpool in the FA cup final a year or two earlier with John starting. And it was billed in the British press as the rags against the riches, the rags being Wimbledon, the riches being Liverpool. And, um, and uh, John had, had started in that game, and his, his best um, season was actually the season right after these revelations were made um, about his brother and the son. Uh, just coincidence, probably. I don't know if that necessarily motivated him or fed him, but um, he was one of the leading scorers in the, in the then First Division, which became the Premier League two years later, um, in the 1991 season. And at that time, Justin is still kind of a vagabond. He's now uh, not only uh, been seen as a guy who washed away his career, but now he's gotten universal social condemnation and rejection uh, in his home country.
0: From 1991 through 1997, Justin scored 35 times in 90 games, obviously a terrific call-to-game ratio. But at age 36, he had had enough and turned his attention to coaching, and it was here in the U.S. that he had hoped to launch a successful coaching career. But this is where it all went wrong and where Justin's story takes a horrible turn for the worse. He signs on to become the coach of the Maryland mania of the A-League, but never gets to the point where he actually coaches a regular season game. He was accused of sexual assault. Justin Fashionu, fearing he would never get a fair trial, fled the U.S., went back home to England, and two months later was found hanging with a suicide note nearby that claimed whatever sex there was, was consensual. What I find curious is that after this alleged assault took place, he leaves Maryland, goes back home, and John claims... After, after after Justin committed suicide, John claimed that Justin wasn't gay, that he was just a lost soul. What happened? How did someone's life that had so much promise spiral so terribly
1: like this? <laughs> that's um, that's just the still, the $6 million question, right? <laughs> um, I, I mean, I guess there was um, perhaps the the influence of the money and, and alcohol, because I said earlier, I didn't want to say he would go on benders because that would equate him with like Georgie best and other great English footballers that kind of flushed their career uh, down the toilet. Um, And I mentioned Johnny football earlier, right. You know, guys like that. Um, It was, it was certainly more complicated than that, but I think alcohol probably played a part as did just the, the desire to be different and to stand out differently. Um, And I think, his brother um, never really understood him. Now he's come to grips with everything. There's guilt there. There, There's There's guilt guilt there. There's a lot of guilt there. Yeah. And uh, that the last seven years of Justin's life, they really didn't, didn't speak. And obviously uh, this thing, that happened in Maryland, which led directly, as you mentioned, to Justin's suicide Um, at the time now, and Justin in his suicide note said it was consensual sex. It apparently was, but at the time, homosexuality was illegal um, in Maryland,
0: and now, with now, and with a with a minor,
1: and with a minor, right? Um, even though had the had it been a heterosexual act, um, that um, I guess that he would not have been considered a minor under Maryland statute. Um, all of that having been said, so he t- he takes off from Maryland, uh, comes back to London, commits suicide, and I think still. For the next few years, John is trying to justify everything that happened. And as you said, and I think you're absolutely spot on, there was a lot of guilt there. Right.
0: You know, the beginning of my show, I always say that Sports Forgotten Heroes is about the people who we don't necessarily remember, they're not on the tips of our tongue, guys who had great careers a great season, or just one great game that we remember for whatever reason. Justin Fashionall had that one great game against Liverpool, and that catapulted him into another stratosphere. Yeah, Can you consider him, can he be considered a hero? Can he be considered a hero for the right reasons? In your mind, your estimation, can Justin he'll be considered a hero.
1: Yeah, I think it, it now that we have we've come to grips with um the kind of social stigma that homosexuality in sports brought you and then to add the layer that he was black. I think it's one of these things where the pioneers it never really goes well for them. I I would draw the direct comparison with Curt Flood in baseball. Right. right? Yeah. Um I think it's it's a similar story. Obviously it's different. This is social that uh, Well, it's actually not that different. I think, you know, Kurt Flood paid the price. His career went down the drain. But if it weren't for him, um, I I can't even name the number. You know, thousands of of major league baseball players would not have had the opportunity they had. Right. uh, And and just real
0: quickly for the listeners who don't know who Kurt Flood is, he's technically or well, not technically, but he's basically baseball's first free agent. And free agency is all because of Kurt Flood.
1: Yeah, and I think free agency in every American sport because what happened was uh, he, he, he sued, free agency comes, the Major League Baseball Players Union becomes very strong, and um, the NBA kind of follows, and the NFL, I, I'm i old enough now to remember the fights over free agency in the NFL, and it was, I mean, the uh, the um, the owners didn't want to give an inch, but what ended up happening is, uh, because of the precedent set by Kurt Flood and set by baseball, um, they eventually won. Although, you know, you could you could still argue there's a lot of collusion between right. owners in the NFL that keeps wages down. But so I think Justin was a similar figure. Nowadays, if somebody has an extra a, a, a kind of flamboyant lifestyle and is different off the pitch and might be homosexual or might be bisexual, might be uh, um different than his teammates. There isn't the kind of social stigma. Now, there might be still some problems in the dressing room. Don't don't get me wrong. I think that there are still those issues in, and in American sports as well. Um, but the media and many fans are very different in how they view things. And I think what's happened in the last 19 years since Justin uh, committed suicide, since he hung himself, is that there has been a gradual, it didn't happen overnight, a gradual revisionism in taking him from being a guy who flushed down his career down the drain to being a guy that was unfortunate, and now to basically being a hero, being a pioneer. And that same kind of evolution happened with Kurt Flood, by the way. Um, and I think as, as we get further and further away from his suicide and from his career, um, his legend continues to grow. That's
0: awesome. Sum up his career for me. What should we remember about Justin Fashiono?
1: supremely talented uh, uh, a guy who could make magic happen on the pitch but uh, had all of these inner demons and uh and uh, psychological factors that prevented him from ever being truly accepted within the game and fulfilling the potential that we know he had and the potential that we saw uh his brother follow through on his brother had a great career and in club football and also played for England um, and was one of the last cuts, I, I think, from the 1990 World Cup team. So um, he could have been that. It could have been better than his brother.
0: That's great stuff, Kartik. We could talk forever and ever and ever. I know it's a podcast, but at some point you gotta say what a great conversation. And I think we had a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on Sports Forgotten Heroes to talk about a soccer player who had so much potential and a life that ended so tragically.
1: Thank you so much, and and keep uh, up the good work doing what you're doing.
0: Thanks, Kartik. Hey, and I hope you'll consider joining me again sometime.
1: Absolutely. I had a blast.
0: Over the course of his career, Justin scored 133 goals in 365 games, and that includes stints with too many teams to name, but a great goals-to-game ratio. His best years came from 1982 through 1985 when he scored 20 goals for Notts County, 1989 when he found the back of the net 17 times in 26 games for the Edmonton Brickman, and from 1991 through 1993 when he notched 15 goals for Torquay United in 41 games. Oh, and for the England U-21 national team, he scored five times in 11 appearances. Finding the back of the net was not a problem for Justin. In fact, his brother John did quite well, too, scoring 149 goals in 394 games, including 107 for Wimbledon over eight years. Off the field, however, for Justin was where his problems occurred, and much of that could, and I stress could, have been a result from that one great goal he scored against Liverpool. There's a terrific documentary about Justin and you can see it on YouTube and I have a link to it on our website sportsfh.com. Speaking of sportsfh.com, it's filled with information on all guests who have appeared on the podcast. You can see who else is scheduled to appear and so much more including how you can show your support. In fact, just go to patreon.com/sportsfh and I have a link on sportsfh.com. That's dot com backslash And of course, we could always use your support. Next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we'll turn our attention to the NBA and one of its long-lost teams, the Buffalo Braves. Thanks for listening, and thank you again to today's guest, Kartik Arschneier. See you next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes.